right, all right. Day 56. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so yesterday we started the book of Job, and remember, Job is about this righteous man named Job who experiences deep suffering. And he is trying to make sense of the just character of God with his friends, right? And so um, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but once again, the best way to know what you're doing is to know where you are, right? So the book of Job has been primarily broken up into four parts, right? So part one is this prologue, right? It's the beginning. It's going to give us the background, the floorboards, the floorboards or the context for understanding the book of Job. And that's chapters one through two. Chapters 3 through 37, right, is is the area we're actually in today, are speeches, right? So Job's friends are going to give him speeches and he'll respond, right? So 3 through 37, the bulk of the book are going to be that. And then 38 through 41 is response, right? That's God's response. God is actually going to show up and respond to Job with his words. And then in part four, the last chapter 42 is the epilogue, right? The epilogue. And God is going to um, respond physically uh, uh, to Job and his questions and his problems. And so um, that's how the book is broken up. And last time we left off um, with my man Eliphaz, right? Eliphaz was the first one to really say something. And he was mid-sentence <laughs> when we left off last time. And in chapter five, he continues with poorly timed truths and general gems that don't always fit every specific situation, right? So remember how we talked about wisdom is inherently contextual, right? Wisdom is inherently contextual, right? Like knowing the right things need to be uh, coupled with having the right kind of application. So in verse seven of chapter five, he's going to essentially say, man, we live in a broken world world, right? And basically trouble that you go through is just a part of life. And it's like, huh? So like verse six and seven, he'll say this, for distress does not grow out of the soil and trouble does not sprout from the ground, but humans are born for trouble, right? As surely as sparks fly upward. And one of the things you'll begin to see, man, um, uh, as we go through different parts of wisdom literature, um, like Proverbs, you'll see that Proverbs shows us how to get wisdom. And Job shows us our need for it, right? And I love, too, how the fact that one of the biggest things we need in the midst of suffering is wisdom itself, its perspective, its understanding, right? In other words, um, we don't just need sermons with a ton of application points. We need something or someone to give us understanding by providing a proper perspective, right? And one of the hard things about Job is that, um, you know, you, you'll see it in interpreting Job, but also in, uh, if we were in Job's situation, let me put it that way, um, you have to understand how to take in the meat and spit out the bones, right? And this is what makes it so tough um, because Eliphaz has this high view of God, right? So he'll talk about how God does do great and unsearchable things, which is true. God does set the lowly on high. However, He'll speak as, as if or how God um, treats the unjust, right? And in this case, it seems to be he's insinuating that Job has done something 
unjust. So for us, I think from chapter five, we can learn that semantics matter, right? Don't just think, what can I say to this person who is suffering, but also say, what will they hear, right? What will they hear? So in chapter six, Job basically uh, responds, and this is the first time he responds to his friends. So he's going to say, hey, if only my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on the scales, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. One of the things you're going to see with Job is that he is on what we would call an emotional roller coaster, right? He's on an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes what he says doesn't seem to like make perfect sense right and that's how it is when we're suffering right like there are um there's a there's a level of yeah just incoherence sometimes in the way we communicate what we're feeling what we're going through and expressing it and it's so funny here that job is like man i'm being punished by god he's explicit about that in verse four and it's just so crazy how our mind works right like he's going to say hey teach me and i will be silent Help me understand what I did wrong, right? In his mind, he feels there's no way I could be going through these things, right? And I didn't do something wrong to get it, right? And if you are listening to this today, I want you to know that is not how God works, right? God is not mechanical. He is relational, right? He doesn't work like a slot machine. We put in a bad deed, he sends calamity. We put in a good deed, he sends blessing. No, Right. He's relational and he proves right that we have to have a living and real relationship with him, even when we don't understand exactly what he's doing. Right. Nonetheless, Job is driven to hopelessness. He is most likely in an ancient form of depression. Right. And one of the biggest questions that Job is dealing with, um, and it's one of the biggest questions of humanity since the beginning of time is not simply why do people suffer but why do righteous people suffer right why do righteous people suffer and for some reason to us that does not make sense and it didn't make sense to job either in chapter seven i was really struck by how real the bible is right and i don't mean like this historically took place of course but i'm saying like in the way it captures the human condition, right? Um, if you've ever been with someone who is suffering, you know that in the midst of tears and sniffles and sobbing and crying, that they seem to switch back and forth between dialogue partners. They will talk to you, they'll talk to themselves, and they'll talk to God interchangeably, right? And you don't know where one begins or ends. And that's what Job does here in chapter seven. Um, and he's like, Man, are not, isn't each person consigned to forced labor on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired worker? Like a slave, he longs for shade. Like a hired worker, he waits for his pay. Hear this. So I have been made to inherit months of futility and troubled nights have been assigned to me. In other words, in the same way a hired worker puts in work and gets paid a reward. It is as if Job is waiting on a reward for his good works and he's realizing that that is futile he's saying as if man i'm living here in a righteous way before god and it seems as if there's no reward for it right 
and you may be feeling like that today. I'm doing everything right. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm treating people right. I'm not sinning personally. I'm not sinning against people. I'm forgiving people. And it seems as if nothing is going right. Suffering makes us believe that there is no reward for our present struggle, right? And this is what Job is feeling, right? And I want you to know that is not the case. Remember chapter one and chapter two as you read. This is a test to see and to refine and to make Job a type of person, right? And we'll see that at the end. Job eight. And finally, his second friend, Bildad, is going to come on the scene. We'll have to cut Bildad off short. But Eliphaz, if Eliphaz was the one who talked about his own experience and what it was like, Bildad is one who speaks of the wisdom of the ages, right? So he'll say, hey, for ask the previous generation and pay attention to what their ancestors discovered. Since we were born only yesterday and know nothing, our days on earth are but a shadow. While this is true, and yet wisdom does stand the test of time, we can't be so rigid and so narrow with the way we communicate it, right? So he goes on further and for further to talk, um, to bring up a bunch of illustrations about nature to kind of prove his point. But all in all, I think, and I think Joe will say this later, regardless, hear this, regardless of how learned we are in age old wisdom in the scriptures, no matter what, how astute we are, no matter how much seminary, like it doesn't matter, right? We are not the best interpreters of the world around us, right? God is, right? No matter how much we know, we will always hear this, even in heaven. And this is a whole nother podcast. But even in heaven, we will always have a limited perspective, right? We will never know everything. We will never see the full picture, right? And some things, hear this, will genuinely be a mystery, right? Um, however, again, God has ultimate perspective. Remember chapters one and two. Job isn't privy to that. We are as readers, but Job isn't, right? So inherently, and his friends aren't. So inherently in the story, they're trying to show how limited their perspective is, right? They only see one side of the story in a sense, right? And what we have to realize is that um, even though we don't have ultimate perspective, God does. And that God that does have ultimate perspective loves us, is committed to us, and sent his son to die for us. So even in the midst of confusion and mystery, the best thing to do is to trust him. Let's pray. Father, we pray um, just that our trust will be deep. Uh, when suffering is, Lord, uh, we pray for your guidance in your hand and your love. God, help us to have perspective, right? Not ultimate perspective, but to use our limited perspective in a wise way to lean on you, uh, to remain faithful in the midst of suffering. We ask that you would do this.